0: From MTV News, this is The Stakes, where we hope your celebration of International Women's Day was intersectional and inclusive, and a little fun. I'm Julianne Ross, deputy politics editor here at MTV News. The border between the United States and Mexico stretches almost 2,000 miles. When it reaches the westernmost end of the country, there's an 18-foot-tall fence that continues into the Pacific Ocean. It's here, at the beach, with San Diego, California on one side and Tijuana, Mexico on the other, that we reach Friendship Park, the only place along those 2,000 miles of border where people in the United States and people in Mexico can talk face-to-face. This week, producer Mukta Mohan brings us to Friendship Park to share stories of this binational meeting place. A few people's names have been changed to protect their identities.
1: I came down here to see my aunt and my little cousin in Mexico. Yeah, I haven't seen them for 12 years, my aunt. Yeah, it's been a long time.
2: I'm from Argentina. I'm a yoga instructor and I teaching, you know, a guiding guide in a class, a yoga class, for two countries. There, is, there was people in the Mexican side, a lot of people in the San Diego side. So that was super amazing.
0: I came to see my mom, my sister, my brothers, my dad, everyone.
1: He asked if I wanted to go to a border yoga class. <laughs> and so I said, well, of course, yeah, let's go check it out.
2: I came to see my girlfriend. She can't come into the United States, so I come every week. You know, in Spanish, they use the word agridulce. For England, we would say bittersweet. And maybe that's a a lot of people, I think, experience this place as bittersweet. It is sad on the one hand, but there's also something very beautiful about it.
3: Friendship Park is a tiny strip of land about 50 feet wide that's sandwiched between two fences. One fence borders Mexico and has thick wire mesh so tight that you can only stick your pinky through. The other fence lets visitors into Friendship Park from 10 to 2 on Saturdays and Sundays only. Border agents stand inside, and only 25 people are allowed into the park at once. It's a rainy Saturday in February, And under the watchful eyes of armed border guards, around 20 people are taking a transnational yoga class.
0: So what it looks like is people on both sides of the border gather and join together with calm music, the sounds of the ocean, and participate together in a peaceful way of taking care of our bodies.
3: That's Chelsea Sparty. Chelsea lives in San Diego and regularly crosses the border into Mexico. She travels frequently and loves both countries very much.
0: I would say it it reinforces the nature of the, the peaceful border in the in the relationship we have with our neighbor uh, Mexico and the United States are, are friendly neighbors and this embodies that.
2: Your, hands to your heart. Inhale, exhale lower your
3: This is Mark Dia Rishi, exhale, an Argentinian yoga instructor who primarily teaches in Tijuana. Inhale, he says his message for the class exhale, is influenced by the setting. You.
2: So in my daily basis, we can experience that we have fences, too. And they're blocking us to have better or healthier relationships. So that's the teaching that I got today. There's this big metal fence that I cannot uh, relate or having like a more healthy or powerful relationship with somebody else. The uh, The same thing can happen in my daily basis. We all have different fences that we need to remove.
3: The border fence attracts activists and yogis alike because it's a powerful symbol. But for many people who visit Friendship Park, the fence isn't a metaphor at all. It's a very real, physical barrier that separates them from their loved ones.
1: I came down here to see my aunt and my little cousin from Mexico. Yeah, I haven't seen them for 12 years. Yeah, it's been a long time. She was crying when we got here. We, She made us cry too. <laughs> Yeah, we touched the pinkies. Yeah, my little baby was all going like that to them too, yeah. We're all touching pinkies (laughs) because we can't touch nothing else. At least we got to see each other from far, you know.
3: That's Shayna Yanez. She learned about Friendship Park through friends who had been here. And when she told her family there was a place where they could see each other face to face, they immediately started planning a trip. Her aunt and cousin came all the way from a small town in Jalisco, twenty three hundred miles south of Tijuana. Shayna's twenty years old. She came to the United States with her mother when she was a child, and she hasn't seen her father since she came here, but she video chats with him on Facebook regularly
1: so we're planning to bring my dad too and more more of my family to see him right here. It was out I, I was two years old and, you know my dad would probably come on April thirtieth. To, they're going to open the doors, they, you have to sign up on, on the internet, and it has, it's an application. They choose randomly six six families that they could come right here for three minutes and, you know, let, they let us help each other, at least open, you know. It sucks not seeing my dad, but seeing him that three minutes, it's enough, you know, as long as I see him. Yeah, I would cry for days. <laughs>
0: The April
3: 30th event that she's talking about is called Dia de los Niños. Once a year, the fence at Friendship Park opens up and parents and children who are separated get the chance to hug and see each other face to face, if only for three minutes.
4: Friendship Park to me is the heart and soul of this immigration issue. It was a park that was inaugurated in 1971 by First Lady Pat Nixon And when she inaugurated that park, and there was just a wire going across that area, she said, may there never be a wall between these two great countries. And she asked her Secret Service to cut the wire, and they did. And she stepped into Tijuana.
3: That's Enrique Morones. He's the founder of Border Angels, a nonprofit organization that advocates for humane immigration reform and social justice, with a focus on Latino issues on the U.S.-Mexico border. The park has changed a lot since the 70s. Maria Teresa Fernandez is a photographer who's been taking photos at Friendship Park every Sunday since 2005.
1: Well, because I've been documenting it, I have seen some changes not just in the structure of uh, of the fence itself, but also in the way uh, uh, the government is behaving in, in this area. With the families and not allowing, uh, allowing them to touch or to hug or to cross anything, that's uh, one of the things that I have seen. Mm-hmm. It's like a living object, and it's been growing in land. It's growing in, uh, and height is growing. Is reproducing in one fence, fence, in another fence. So I hope someday it will die, but I don't know when. I hope I will be able to document it.
3: Here's how the fence evolved. In 1971, there was just a string of barbed wire here. In the 90s, as part of a Clinton-era crackdown on immigration called Operation Gatekeeper, a chain-link fence went up. The park closed down in 2008, but a group called the Friends of Friendship Park fought for the park and it was reopened in 2011 with the addition of an 18-foot-tall fence reinforced with steel mesh.
4: Uh, just not too long ago, you'd be able to sit at the wall there, pass a sandwich, pass your baby across, so you could hug him. That's the way it was before, and everything changed after 9/11. And uh, you know, Mexico is uh, is our, our friend, uh, and we should be treating them as friends. Everybody cares about security, but you have there's a humane way to do it, and building a wall is not the way to do it. We want to have a border like there is on the uh, British Columbia Washington state border, where they have friendship arch. And families can come and cross and be with each other and so forth. Both uh, border patrol from both countries is just watching them and they let them go back. That's the way we should be working with our neighbors to the south.
3: We're talking about Friendship Park, a meeting place on the westernmost end of the US-Mexico border that's only open for a few hours each week. Everyone who comes here has a different story. Some people visit as a symbolic gesture to do yoga in the shadow of an 18-foot steel fence or tend to a binational garden, but others come here, often from far away, because it's the only place where they can see their families and loved ones face to face. There are deported mothers talking to their children, lovers separated by the wall who can't hug or kiss or gaze into each other's eyes, parents who come to meet their grandchildren for the first time, people with terminal illnesses saying their goodbyes. Though the visitors on the Tijuana side are largely Mexican, there are also Central and South Americans, Haitian refugees, and deportees from all over the world trying to stay close to family in the U.S., There's a border checkpoint just 14 miles away in Otay Mesa, but more often than not, the visitors who come here on the Mexican side are coming to see people whose own immigration status prevents them from leaving the United States. I want to introduce you to Jorge and Diana. This is just one story out of many, but it's important. Do you
5: want some candy? Do I want some candy? I wish you can pass it through here. Thank you for offering, Mama.
6: That's, the, that's, the, that's not good, huh? This fence should be here so we can pass candy, huh? Yeah,
5: it's too big. Just
6: candy, that's nothing
5: else. Yeah, it's like so all the way.
6: So all the way up, huh? So all the way up.
5: <laughs> Crazy. Um, Yeah. I wish I was small. <laughs> you wish you were small enough to fit through the fence? No, I wish I was small enough. You wish the fence was small? Yeah. Yeah, I wish too, Mama. This is like a little weird. Little you can touch uh, my pinky okay. though. <laughs> my, little, my pinky can fit through My fingers are too fat to fit through the rest of it. <laughs> It's a good pinky though. Yeah. I don't want to get, to get stuck. But.
3: Jorge and Diana are siblings who grew up in a suburb of Southern California. Diana was born in the United States. Jorge came into the country illegally with his parents when he was only two years old. He applied to a program called Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, which could have temporarily protected him from deportation. But in October 2015, during a routine visit to an immigration office, he was arrested and deported. The offense? Traffic violations and smoking marijuana in public. Jorge was loaded into a bus full of other detainees. He didn't get to say goodbye to his wife and young daughters or to his parents or siblings. He didn't even get to make a phone call. He was dropped off in Tijuana with only the possessions he had when he walked into the immigration office earlier that day. It was the first time he'd been back to Mexico since he left at two years old. Jorge still has to provide for his young family in the United States, so he hustles multiple jobs, cutting hair, selling shoes, and making jewelry, earning pesos he can exchange for dollars.
6: It's it's been very difficult because my my whole life has been in the States. I've known nothing but living in, in California you know Southern California I, I went to elementary, junior high high school you know and I had aspirations of going t- to college but I felt in my heart American since since I can remember you know um, I didn't really find out I was illegal until my class field trip was requiring a, my birth certificate. the social, and I just came home like it's nothing. Hey, mom, we're gonna go take a class field trip to like Washington, DC. I'm gonna need a like an ID and you know, uh, just birth certificate and I the socials like it's nothing, but I can't got that that you know, that that reality check really quick that that it's not like that, you know, it's a lot more difficult than it than I thought, you know, than I originally know I lived every day kind of in, in fear really that something could happen and I can I could be possibly just taken away from everything I know and everything I've known to love
5: here's Diana every single morning before we would commute um, like prayer was just like a really big thing in my family and one every single day we would pray with the exact words of Lord please keep us out of the eyes of the police and the authorities and growing up in that mentality of knowing that that one day I can come home and none of my family would be there because they were deported you know I mean it was either deportation or the rapture you know like <laughs> that's those were like my fears instilled as as a kid which is crazy to think about there was this one morning where I woke up and no one was home and apparently my mom had gone out to, like, get groceries with my brothers and didn't want to wake me up. And I think my dad stepped out to get something, or I don't even know what. But I was sobbing, like, thinking, like, where did my family go? Like, did God take them? Did ICE take them? And to think about, like, the... I guess thinking back on hi- in hindsight, like, of how scary that actually was as a child to go through that, of always being in fear of your family just being ripped away from you because you're the only citizen here who's just... It's, yeah, it's pretty crazy to think about.
6: It, it did change my life in the day-to-day because I knew that my life was not going to be the same as everybody else's life. Like, the same opportunities that Jeff has, Jose doesn't have. You know? My pursuit was a little harder. I want. Um, I mean, there's no other way to put it. I had to work two dead-end jobs and two side hustles. I made handmade jewelry or make music and sell it. Or And it's just overbroke. I'm scraping by life. It did lead me, you know, taking countless bus rides, metro rides, walking miles just to put food on my, on that table for my, my family. I have qualified for jobs that are gonna I don't have to work two, three dead-end jobs. I can just work one job, you know, and it's Monday through Friday and, and actually enjoy this life, you know?
5: I've always carried this burden of knowing that I want to be successful for my family to get them out of this situation and that I've been blessed with the social security number, like, just people take it take that for granted that social security number is your your key to like endless opportunities that people would die for um and i just hope that one day that i just want to bring my family together and i know that most of it lies on me because i have the ability to do so and i'm just trying to figure it out and the last year and a half of of dealing with this is trying to figure out how to like save the money and how because we're all struggling financially you know and um, it's when you're living paycheck to paycheck or freelance gig to freelance gig you don't really get the opportunity to like save up all the money you want to help your family because at the end of the day this all lies on money because I know if we had an unlimited amount of resources my brother would already be back
6: Lately, it's been getting worse. I feel like I'm more anxious to come home, you know. But I don't know what's waiting for me over there. That's the scariest part. That I don't know what's what world is waiting for me. You know, it's changed the last.
5: I just want this for my parents, and it's it's a bummer that since the Trump administration, like that they're at risk to not even be able to do this, and like like that would have been so beautiful because they haven't they haven't been able to see him in person since October of 2015, like. Like, my dad just dropped off my brother at the immigration office and said, see you later, and didn't see him again, you know? So, like, I wish that they can at least have this experience of seeing him through the fence, because at least I'm blessed to be able to see him on the other side, but um, my parents still aren't, so...
6: My whole family's over there. Like, everything that I know and love and keeps you happy, keeps a person happy, is the family and, you know?
5: Yeah, I just can't wait to have my brother back. I can't wait for my parents to get their situation sorted so that way they can visit him in this whole mess. I mean, their dream is literally to get their papers sorted and move to San Isidro so that way they can visit him every weekend. That's all they want that's all they want and just to make a livable wage and to see their son like like that's it's unreal to me and I just I don't know how long it's going to take to get him back but I'll do everything in my power to get him back I mean it's it's my it's my burden to carry like that's my that's my brother that's my flesh and blood
2: I love you I love
5: you too
6: And
2: God leads us in the direction of justice.
3: Pastor John Fannestill has been leading a weekly church service and communion right at the fence in Friendship Park for over five years. He also has a team in Mexico that organizes every Sunday to provide food and assistance to people who've recently been deported.
2: I kind of come here to catch a glimpse of, uh, you know, what the real border is like. Um, I think most people think the border is dangerous and characterized by, you know, crime. and, And my experience of the border is that it's a very human place, a very beautiful place that people uh, who live along the border are people of great uh, passion and, and courage and commitment. And so I kind of come to get myself rejuvenated. They, I find they pick me up uh, most Sundays.
3: No matter why people come here or how far they've traveled, Visiting Friendship Park is a tough journey. It's heavy and emotional, and it's also physically challenging. You can't get here without making a 40-minute trek over dirt and sand. Now, it's becoming even harder to visit the park.
4: People coming here to Friendship Park are uh, coming here a lot less often. You know, we had started to get more and more people before the, uh, Donald Trump came along. But since he's become the president, uh, all of a sudden people are very scared that they could be asking for their ID, that they could be deported. And we have seen this happening. We have seen this happening in Arizona and Los Angeles and in other parts of the country where, like with President Bush, he had these raids. Uh, that's happening once again. That's happening once again, and people are afraid to go to places like Friendship Park because there is immigration uh, people all around. Whether it's Border Patrol or ICE or Department of Homeland Security, so people are very concerned. They can no longer go tell their mom goodbye at the border wall. They can no longer go and show off their new grandson to the grandfather for the first time. And that's not what the United States is all about. That's not what this country is all about. So there is a lot of fear in the community, and we hope that with the actions that we're doing, Border Angels. Hopefully we'll turn some hearts, continue to open that door, of, uh, the door of hope, continue to have events like the yoga, bi-national yoga, bi mariachi, these types of activities, because we want to show that we, we believe in border security, but let's do it in a smart way and not in a hateful way by building a wall that has led to so many deaths and so much terror. Friendship Park is uh, is bittersweet bitter because you wish they could actually hug each other and cross over into the respective countries. And sweet because at least they can see each other even though it's through the mesh. So it's bitter sweet.
3: But for a few moments every week, Pastor Phanistil, a preacher without a congregation, leads a service for whoever happens to be there. And everyone on both sides of the fence becomes part of something bigger than their individual circumstances. People leave their families to take communion. Strangers hold their palms up, touching through the mesh. The Border Patrol agents pause their banter. Everything stops.
2: I'd like you to invite you to come up to the wall. Anybody who'd like to participate is welcome. Vamos a acercarnos al muro, los dos lados. We come to the wall, we place our hands on the wall, we find a friend on the other side. And with our hands on the wall, we take a moment of silence to lift up our prayers to our God. Each of us in our own way, each of us in our own way, we lift our prayers to God. Cada uno de nosotros en nuestra propia manera, vamos a tomar un momento de levantar nuestras confesiones a nuestro Dios. Con las manos en el muro reconocemos la división que han creado los seres humanos. And with our hands on the wall, we recognize the division that we as human beings have created. Y reconocemos que estas divisiones no son de Dios. We recognize that these separations are not of God. Y estas divisiones son por parte del hombre, del ser humano. These are creations of human beings, of men que no conform con la voluntad de Dios, that these divisions do not conform with the will of God. Y así en este momento y silencio, and so in this moment of silence, levantamos nuestras confesiones, we lift up our confessions, como individuos, as individuals, como iglesias, as churches, como naciones, as nations. We confess our sins to our God. Confesamos nuestros pecados, Y ahora les invito a levantar las manos hacia el cielo. Now I invite you to lift your hands up to the sky and look up to the sky. Y mira qué tan ancho es el cielo. Look how wide open is the sky. Mira que no hay obstáculo ninguno. Look how there's no obstacles in the sky. Las aves, los aves, las nubes. El viento libremente. The clouds, the birds, the, the wind flows freely in the sky. Y así es el perdón de Dios. This is what God's forgiveness is like. Y así declaro con plena confianza, and so I declare with full confidence in en el nombre de Dios, that in God somos todos perdonados, we are all forgiven. Gloria a Dios. Glory to God. Amén. Amen. Amen. Un Let's exchange words of peace with our friends. Peace of Christ to you. Peace to you. Peace.
0: That was producer Mukta Mohan at Friendship Park in San Diego, California. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on iTunes to help everyone else find us. Join the conversation about the episode on Twitter at MTV Podcasts and see some behind the scenes photos on Instagram at MTV Podcasts. Also, if this is your first time listening to us, subscribe so you can get the newest episodes delivered to you. Find us wherever you find your podcasts. We've reached the end of our first season, but don't worry. If you find yourself craving more shows from us at MTV, you can check out our work at podcasts.mtv.com. The Stakes is produced by Michael Katano, Mukta Mohan, James T. Green, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network. I'm Julianne Ross, signing off.